Hey, welcome to the Catholic Center. 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 I think it kind of goes back with like the the saying like God is working and like God is working within each person and that kind of thing because if you look at your life as this like short period of time in the world in general in the whole universe your life is like somewhat if you look at it from a worldly perspective it's somewhat insignificant because there's so many people and like there's so many stars in the sky and there's just like there's so many plants and animals and there's you're just one person but your whole life is a chance for God to be working within you and growing you and changing your heart and changing it again and again and again and reflecting himself through you to other people in a different way every day or a different way every period of life and every chance that you have to change like with the with tragedy He's like taking it and, or your friend is like taking it and then um, moving forward because that's what you have to do. But it's also because like through Christ being Christians, we know that we are like God's hands. We are God's feet. We're supposed to be here to like reflect him to the world. And when we do it as like part of our purpose, it's like it it changes every day. So it's never like, it's never boring or like it never gets old you just or you never get like fresh or you get frustrated all the time because the plan it gets frustrating to not know what you're supposed to be doing but you know that you're supposed to be growing and you know that you're supposed to have this purpose so therefore like everything has meaning including the tragedy and the growth is just that's the purpose is the growth and like your life is a long period of growth that's what I think. Flourishing. Flourishing. So the method of God is to enter into the world and take upon himself human flesh so that human flesh may interact with human flesh, so that the gospel or the message, the revelation, may interact with our ears and our noses and our mouths and our eyes and our hands and our shoulders and our arms uh, and brush up against humanity, Right? So this is the method of God is to take on human form because human form is actually how like best communicates revelation or best communicates the message. Yeah. So also is the reason for the church. So this human form that Christ took or that God took in Christ started this church so that the method may continue so that we may continue to, uh, like you said, hands and feet, be the hands and feet of Christ. Well, yeah, the hands and feet and the gestures and the words and the sounds and the actions and the decisions and the, the things that are actually um, brushing up against humanity. Uh, in, and oftentimes like, what's fascinating is that it's, it's in ways that we don't even recognize where uh, my life has changed in a particular way where I brush up against somebody who um, you know, perhaps doesn't believe in the same thing, but, um, but like the presence itself it provokes or it proposes uh, the actions that we have proposes and provokes questions and um, it 
our human form is actually how the gospel is communicated. So I have an interesting, fun, fun story. Mm. A whole bunch of these stories. So talking to an individual, asking him the question, they're, they kind of spend a lot of time in the Catholic Center, but they're also out and, out and about, out in the world, out and talking to people and engaging people and, and so forth. And I asked the question, why do you remain here? Whoa, that's my word. Remain. Why do you Whoa. remain here? Yeah. And this person was thinking about this for a while. And they said, when I got here originally and I started talking to people, people, these people were interested in me and they were listening to me and they were taking what I had seriously and um, they were receiving me, which is great. That's awesome. It doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like anything special. Uh-huh. Right. However, the next thing this person says is, everyone else in my life doesn't do that. So the people that I'm in class with, the people that I'm in dorms with, the people that I'm on team, the sports teams with, the people that I'm on, you know, in these clubs with, no one's listening to me and taking interest in me and receiving me in the particular way that the people who have been receiving these sacraments, we could say, are receiving me. Mm. Yeah. And so it has their natural response was I want to be like them. I want to live how they are living. I want to have what they have, which is Christ, which is community, which is life in the spirit, uh, which is Eucharist and a relationship with God. And so when I asked this person the question, it's like, why do you remain here? It's like, well, like, what they've encountered here is something that isn't elsewhere. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like we have it at the center and everyone has it. A lot like most people I talk to, they all have it. They have that that light, I guess, that like interest in people. Um and which is pr- a provocative thing. It's yeah, countercultural. That's what I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're rebels. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, and so whenever you do, like, for example, Molina, when you do in service projects, when you're out and about doing different things in the community, in Athens community, in our own community, in people's homes or in organizations, it's like you're brushing up against the world. And in so doing, you're also representing a light um, and you're giving off a light, perhaps. The fact that you desire to be there mm. is a particular desire for which is a provocative presence. I mean, when it, like you're 19, 20 years old and you're helping somebody in their own like struggle or in their own difficulty who can't help themselves, it's like why why would you decide and want to do something like that? There's a particular desire in my mind that speaks it speaks, it's a, it has a, a volume in itself. Yeah, it's Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's uh, the, so in earlier this year, I um, was like reading some scripture, just like reflecting on things. And I got to this like question kind of of like, w- like why can't I just be with Jesus? 
like, why do I have to go through all the suffering and just like the world? And like, I think I was just annoyed with classes and everything in general. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I want to be with Jesus. And I was reading scripture and um, I found like the word remain. And I was like, that's my word for the year or for however long. And it's been going on for the whole year of like, I will remain because that is what Jesus did until his time to be crucified. He remained and he remained present and um, he remained serving. And that's what we're all called to do is remain, um, remain here dwelling and serving others, washing the feet. Um, so yeah, it was really funny that you brought up that word because it's a great word. Remain. Yeah. How have you lived that out? Um, I think I just, when I get frustrated or, or when things are really good, it's, it's like when I'm frustrated, it's because, um, I'll, I'll reflect on that and I'll pray with Jesus and say like, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with you or I'm frustrated with the world and how it, how it's working and whatever is going on. But I will remain because that is what you've asked of me. I will remain and I will continue to live out the instructions that you gave me through your life when you remained. Um, and then when things are good, when I'm joyful, it's this is because I remained. And then later on, I can look back and say, I'm remaining now because I was remaining then. And through all this time, remaining has been what I've been called to do. Therefore, it is good. And how's that been? It's been it's been good. It's a hard it's hard to live out, you know, everything. It's hard to live out being a servant, Christian, all of these things. It's hard to like really stand firm in your beliefs, especially when it's the countercultural rebellious beliefs that most people don't believe like I'm probably the only person in my class that believes most things I believe about about me as a woman or as a person or my rights or whatever it is I'm probably one of the only people in that room that believe what I believe and therefore I remain still here so it is hard and it's hard for everyone to remain and to just like continue to do the work and to serve. Um, yeah. And sometimes we don't do it right, you know, but you still like remaining isn't really asking you to do everything right or be the best Christian or be the best Catholic, whatever it is. It's just asking you to be here and be present. And I'm still learning that part. But it's also assuming that you're not the best or yeah. perfect. It's like otherwise you'd have no no reason to remain. It's like, oh, well, we've already become like God. Yeah. <laughs> we've already become perfect. We've already um, been perfected, which is not true, right? Actually, what's true is that we need a Savior. We need to be saved and it is there in my mind that we need to remain and return to this need for a savior, this need to remain in needing a savior in needing to be saved. Yes. 
I have a friend, Father Branson at Georgia Tech. He always says... He's cool. Um, he always says, today I need to be saved. Which I think is true. I really like that because in my own experience, it's like, gosh, I get caught up in everything. I get tossed around. I get distracted. I get stressed or frustrated. I take things into my own hands. And actually, like, like what you're saying is like, I need to remain in my need for salvation. Mm. I need to return to my need for salvation. I need to remember the, the Savior, remember that I need a Savior. Yeah. Yeah. And remember, like, remaining is a calling. I think that was something that, like, I had to learn because, or still am learning, because you get caught up in, like, what you're saying. You get caught up in, like, I need to be doing all these things, and, like, or you're just doing all those things because they're there, and they're, pre- and they're, like, put in front of you um and to be present means to address those things but it being present also means remaining and remaining doesn't mean being like overactive and like overworking yourself and doing all of these things it really just means like being christ-faced to those around you and living out the calling of just being present which is so hard to do, especially with like, like the culture of society of like, you always need to be doing stuff um, and like competitiveness and all of those things that like are just embedded into our lives in general, especially as college students. Like you go to class and there's like 300 people learning the same thing as you, probably trying to do the same career as you and you have to stand out from those people. And like in a generation where there's like all of these other things going on and like the world is just chaotic, which it's always been, but like addressing that there's always this competitive nature. Um, and like being in classes and like trying to, trying to be someone that stands out is so competitive. Like you're supposed to have something that no one else has. And that's just, I mean, there's so many people and there's so many different things that stand out. It's just like one person's opinion to the next. But if you just remain and be obedient to the calling of remaining, you're, you're learning because you want to learn these things because you want to go do God's work. You're not learning because you want to compete against the person beside you and putting yourself into this mental struggle of like constantly trying to be better than someone else or trying to be different than someone else. And that's, I think all of it is something that like I'm learning and I'm growing in, but specifically just like remaining as a calling. Yeah. It's hard. Called to remain. Called to remain. Ooh. So I, I, uh, one of my, uh, professors in seminary was Bishop Robert Barron. So he was a part of our seminary and he would always say, I love this. He would always tell us to remain in the pew. So in the sense of like, when you're in the high season, when you're in the low season, when Mm. you're going through this, when you're going through that, when you are struggling, when you don't know where to go, like remain in the pew, return to the pew, remain in the pew. And I love that because it's like a, a, it's more than a ritual at that point. You're kind of making returning to the pew a ritual. Uh, where it's like that's the place of formation, that's the place of of discipleship, is uh, 
is returning to this relationship or returning to the pew, returning to this place where um, everything is, in a sense, ordered in how it ought to be ordered or at least, like, presented before the one who orders. Yeah, and it's also, like... um, To return to the pew, yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's, like, not constantly moving forward, striving to find something new or something like that you're grasping for. It's just remaining in empty hands, waiting for something to be put in them. Yeah. It's good. Good stuff. That is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think in my own life, in my own experience, and like I make mistakes and I assume things and um, I get insecure and I get anxious and I get worried, and I regret, and I doubt myself, and I struggle, and did I say intimidated? I get intimidated. (laughs) You said a lot of things. And there's that calling. It's like, all right, we'll remain. Remain and return to the pew remain and return to this relationship with God. It's like, it's a, it, it's a response to all of these emotions Strikes and, them all. and situations. Uh, doesn't, yeah. doesn't, um, it's a very simple response, a very simple tug or call in. And then the question is St. Peter's words oh, is to whom else can I go? Yeah. Oh, that line. Yes. I'm pretty sure that's where I will remain. My like word came from to whom else will I go? Nothing. Nowhere. Yeah. So it's like, all right, well, I have all of these emotions and experiences and, and dispositions. It's like, what can, again, save me from them? Right. The bottle doesn't save me from them. Food doesn't save me from them social gatherings doesn't necessarily save me from them. It's like, if I'm going through these experiences in life, it's like I need, they're, they're questions that beg for an answer or for help. Hmm. Yeah. And is there help? That's Peter. To whom else is going to help us? Or whom else? I don't know if that's how you, the right grammar. Nothing else is going to help us. We have not encountered anyone else or anything else that can help us in my own existential experience. (laughs) Yeah. Because, I mean, everything else, everything worldly doesn't fulfill because we're called to desire a stronger love. And if if we're not pursuing that, you feel it you feel that you're not pursuing that or you feel like you're not because there's a knowledge at some level, there's a knowledge that the love you get from people, the love you get from this earth doesn't fulfill that space in your heart that craves love, that desires love. And because you're not being fulfilled in that way, you're none of those, none of those questions are going to get answered. None of those like, I feel intimidated. I feel like anxious, all those things. Like we can't feel fulfilled in, in our struggle in that because we're always looking towards, we're always looking towards, um, or we're, 
well towards things that can actually help us yeah you could be always looking towards things that aren't helping you because they're here they're on earth they're present and you're like well once i have this then all these things will go away yeah and that's just not true that's saint augustine he says my heart is restless until it rests in you O lord this restless heart yeah. So I like so this is my this is my perspective on humanity is that I look at and I see restless hearts and I understand that people respond to their restless hearts in the w- in the way that ways that they do. Right? So like it's all it all makes sense. Like if we do have these restless heart, restless hearts which is my experience in my own life and like all these things don't actually help me. It's like gosh, like I continue to have these restless hearts this restless heart and so does everybody else and i understand that people go to the bottle they go to drink they go to food they go to relationships they go to uh you know experiences even like uh just traveling or buying things materialism like having the next best thing the nicest thing it's like okay i understand that people i have a sympathy because yeah there is this restlessness to humanity to our hearts even if you look throughout time and history like we've been um, a religious people throughout history, and like all of our all of our ancestors have been restless, and we've we've all been like restlessly trying to make petitions to uh, this mysterious transcendent being that we intuit in our hearts. Uh, there's this restlessness there uh, that we try to fulfill. It could be power, or status, or or money. Um, like our hearts are restless until they it until it rests in you, O oh Lord. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sad too because it's we're not like, sad. well, it's not sad. It's only <laughs> sad if there is nothing that responds to it, right? True. So, like, this is the good news of Christianity: is that Amen. there's a response to the restlessness, right? Yeah. Uh, as opposed to like, yeah, it's sad. It is sad that everyone uh, doesn't know the response to our restlessness or doesn't know that there is a way, right? Capital well, W. It's, yeah, yeah, capital W. Mm-hmm. It's also sad because, our, like you said, our ancestors were restless. Everyone throughout time has been restless. It's not going to end because we're going to rest with Christ. Therefore, well, we know that, but all the other people are like, they're like, I mean, building things and inventing things. And like, we're going to be like the generation that stops being restless. Mm. And we're more restless than most people. Like this, like this time we're like trying to fill all of these holes in our lives with, with, with not with like material things. So COVID didn't even help us. Nope, it's made like it worse. It uh, now it ramped us back up. Yeah, ramped the speed back up. Yeah. Yeah, because now we're like, oh, we lost time. Now we have to like make up for it. A lot of people are like that. Like I gotta. Now's the time to do things. Like we had all that time where we were silent or like we were home alone or whatever it is. Now it's time to get back and do things, and yeah, I mean, on some level. You can go do things. You can go out now. You can, you know. Man, let's check this out. Okay. I was reading a article from a newspaper from Spain. I love Spain. 
and <laughs> this particular journalist was speaking about um, this partic- this exact thing. So she she writes, you know, I look out onto the nightlife of Madrid, post COVID, first night back, everyone is out and enjoying themselves. We've been anticipating this. We've been loving the fact that we are now able to get back together, dine in restaurants, and enjoy this moment finally. Like, I can resonate with that. That's awesome. Yeah. And then she goes on and says, how many of those people went to sleep that night disappointed? Whoa. <laughs> I love this because it points to this restlessness of like, yeah, like this is an objectively good thing that we're gathering together, but this isn't actually going to save us from that desire. Like we have this, we have this infinite desire in a sense for belonging and community and love and joy. And like we're glimpsing it that evening, but that is not something that can fulfill us. And so she mm. begs the question, this was like a secular newspaper, that she begs the question, like, how many of these people went to sleep that night disappointed or unfulfilled? I thought it was provocative. Wow. I thought it was provocative. Think about this. When we were in COVID and like in like the heart of it where we were all quarantined, no mass, no Eucharist, right? Then when we go back, we receive the Eucharist again and that desire for Christ and for like worshiping him and receiving him for me personally, it was like a major impact on my faith. So I came back from COVID and I was like, I've been waiting on the Eucharist for four or five months. Like this is a gift. This is a new gift for myself. Everything has a new meaning. It all had a new meaning. And yeah, what, receiving what it, receiving it again, the new gift, I just crave it so much more. Or I crave the time to worship and the time to receive Jesus and like acknowledge that he's been here the whole time and now he's within me. And with the disappointment, like the people go back and they're like doing all this big party, whatever, getting back together again, but they're left disappointed. For me, it was, I went back, received Jesus and felt called more than ever to just like desire him even more because I got just the Eucharist, just a little like my daily gift of receiving Christ that he like this huge thing that he does for us but it was like reawakened like I was like okay now Christ is like he's or he has been the whole time he's been in my life and now it's a gift of a realization that he is in my life and I need to desire that and I need to crave that and then I go about just like going to mass waiting on mass, getting the Eucharist again, going in this cycle of just, like, how can I get Jesus today? Because, I mean, for so long, it was 
There was no Eucharist. There was no Mass. So I go back and just like, there's that hole in my heart that's like, how do I fill it up with Jesus today? Yeah. yeah. There's this story um, that I forget who originally wrote it, but it's this image of we're on a beach and there's all these construction workers and they're looking at the moon and they're starting to build a road to the moon. Mm. Have you heard this? No. So they're, they're starting wow. to build a road to the moon and they're determined. They say like, no, like we desire to build to, we desire to have this unending road into the sky or we desire this infinite road to the moon, to the stars. And there's someone on the beach who says, who shows up amidst all of these construction workers and says, I am the way. Oh, man. <laughs> and there's some people who like stop what they're doing and they're listening and they're listening some more. And some of them are like, oh, this guy's crazy. And they go back to building the bridge to the moon, the road. Man. And then there's others who follow this person who basically proposed that he is the way to the infinite, to to that which they desire. Isn't that cool? That is so cool. And so you can see the disciples or the apostles, the apostles were the people who were gravitated towards that, fixated on that. And even today, it's like when we, when we kind of look at the proposal of Christ, it's like there's people who go back to what they were doing and determine to build that bridge to the moon, while there's others who uh, recognize that like, well, maybe actually this is the way. Because they, in a sense, like corresponded to it or like their hearts, their restless hearts perhaps uh, felt or intuited that like, actually, this is true. The I way. Like that. I like that story. That's cool. Capital W. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they used yeah. to say that in the, actually, apostles in the early church that called Jesus the way. Christianity, yeah. capital W, the way. Um, which is true. It's a, it's a life, right? I had someone ask me yesterday. Wow. He said, so like, why did you become a priest? I said, I was interested in the adventure. And they said, what adventure? I said, <laughs> the, the, the adventure of priesthood, right? And, and it, very much yeah. so, it's or the adventure of Christianity, you could say. The adventure of Christianity uh, propelled me on to, into priesthood. So it was almost like a, a product of following Christ or product of the way. Like mm-hmm. It's the vocation is like, um, it's something that happens on on the path, on the way, uh, capital W. Wow. I th- I, it was funny. I was like, I, it was funny how I answered that. I like the adventure, or I wanted <laughs> the adventure. She's just like, what? What adventure? What do you do all day? You just sit in your, <laughs> you just sit in church and you just do nothing and you wait around till Sunday. <laughs> you wait around till Sunday. So actually, there's my life has never had so much adventure. And this is interesting. This summer, I had an adrenaline kick. And I was looking for ways to fulfill this adrenaline. 
Which is interesting. It was like this kind of weird human experience of like I'm trying to skydive. <laughs> I'm trying. Did you to, skydive? I did not know. I've skydived. I used some uh, rode some roller coasters, and like there was this like intense desire to like for some sort of adrenaline. We should go skydiving. Yeah. Yeah, we should. That'd be cool. That'd be awesome. We can jeep up to wherever it is, and then jump out of a plane. Yep. There we go. Jeep to the skydive place. Yeah, yeah. But I, I recognize, and I recognize mm-hmm. now, it's like in that comparison, so even though I'm like doing these adventurous things, these ad- high adrenaline things, it's like my life is actually more of an adventure. Whoa. We don't need a skydive. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke too soon. Wait, that's amazing. So like, at least that's my experience of like. That's true. Actually, that makes so much sense. Because, yeah, I went skydiving. And, like, wow, that was, like, one of the most... You've been skydiving. I have been skydiving. It was one of the most insane experiences of my life. Um, What an adventure. But... What is it like to come out of that plane for the first time? It was awesome. What are those emotions? What is the... uh, What was the... Articulate that experience. Okay, okay. So... There's this guy named Nicholas who was my um my tangent what is Yep, he strapped on Yeah, to that you. guy who strapped on to me. Um and he was so cool, such a cool guy. And he like held on to the bar that like you hold on to, like that's where the door is to like jump out of the airplane. And so he held on to that bar with me like on the front of him and just like hung himself like forward. So that I'm just like hanging out of this airplane, (laughs) looking down at the ground with all the clouds around and everything, just like hanging out of an airplane. It was awesome. That was the coolest thing. It was just, it was so um, exhilarating and like unexpected because I wasn't afraid for some reason. I definitely should have been, but I was, I wasn't afraid. I was like, this is going to be awesome. And then he let go and we jumped out of the plane and the ground was like so far away. And it didn't feel like I was going to, you know, land on it at any point. It was just, there's just ground beneath us. And it was, um, when he, when he pulled the cord for the parachute, I was like, Oh yeah, we need that. I totally forgot. We can't, we can't do this forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we probably needed we that can't at just some free point. Fall forever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he pulled the he pulled the cord, and then we had this like rainbow kind of parachute, I guess. And um, so when we looked down, the sun was shining through it, and we were just like this little like oval of colors, like projected onto the clouds, and. Looking at that and looking at the ground, I was like, we are so small. Like, the people below us probably can't see us. We're so far in the sky, in the middle of the whole open sky of, like, the universe. Like, I was thinking about everything. I was like, I'm so small right now. And, like, my feet, I could look at my feet. So small. There's, like, a whole world beneath them. Mm. And then we ran on clouds ran on them and they moved like little puffs it was the coolest thing yeah my dad did it with me nice he did nice yeah i made him promise when i was like eight years old i was like when i turn 18 skydiving and he was like i guess so 
And then I turned 18 and I was like, skydiving? And he said, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) So that was awesome. He's really cool. That's a cool experience. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the adventure of skydiving. Mm -hmm. Incredible. But I remember it like it was, you know, it's just a memory in my life. And this adventure that I'm on of just, you know, college and like, taking the next steps and like anything can happen empty hands who whatever god's gonna put in them empty hands because that's an adventure an adventure of just like remaining yeah yeah so the pope benedict said this pope before uh francis he said that christianity is not a set of morals or a theology it's an invitation and an encounter by to a person an encounter with a person, Christ, who sets us on a new horizon for our lives. So Christianity is not a set of morals or, or theology. It is those things. It has those things. But he says it's an encounter with a person who sets us on a new horizon in our lives, which is this, right? That new horizon uh, is now... Um, an endless horizon in their sense, and it's an adventure. It's an adventurous spirit. Even if your life is not perfect, even if your life is messy and complicated and painful and stressful, it doesn't mean that it can't be a beautiful adventure. Wow. I think it's, it's a part of it. It's it's the proposal to everybody. It's and it's hard to juxtapose that with like suffering or or some sort of pain, but like, um, it's not like Christianity is like, uh, this happy thing that you do. And these are other things that you just got to get through. It's like, no, like it's all part of it. Um, there's ups and downs. There's the good seasons, the bad seasons, the dry seasons, the difficult seasons, the tragic seasons. It's like, it's kind of, uh, we're called to in a sense, pass through it with Christ who leads us on this new horizon for our lives. Yes. That solves all of humanity's problems. Because, again, Peter, to whom else shall we go? To whom else shall we go when all of these seasons are happening, when there's uh, all of these opportunities and uh, encounters with certain things and certain people? It's like, all right, well, like, this isn't actually helping me, or this can't help us, or that can't help us, or that doesn't solve the problem. It's like there's still this, um, the question still remains. It's like, I need an answer. I need to be saved. I need to, um, I need someone to guide me through this. Otherwise, life's boring and not an adventure. No. <laughs> and you should be skydiving every single day for the rest of your life because that's the closest thing that perhaps you can come to. A Holy good, crap. A good life, right? It's like, yeah. Yeah. But even that wouldn't help. Wow. Seeking the thrill. Mm-hmm. We're, we, we live the thrill. Try to. Yeah, we try to. Mm-hmm. And then right. when you brush up, to go back to what we were talking about, to, you brush up against uh, the world and others because we're not living under a bushel basket, but we're trying to live in the world and encounter other people and have other people encounter this light, uh, this newness, this transformation that we've received. Um, it's like in the world we're actually like responding to the people who desire that thrill, who want that thriller, 
or who have that restlessness in their hearts. For better or for worse, in whatever season that they're in, it's like they, they have these hearts that continue to beat, and we get to be that presence uh, that speaks a way. The way. The way. Wow. This is cool. It's all fun. It is fun. <laughs> it's an adventure. It is an adventure. Yeah. I, uh, I, as a priest, I like doing what I do. Uh, and it's not easy, but it's all very wild and crazy and adventurous. Like I have uh, an experience. We had these uh, religious ed kids running around here the other day. Oh, yeah. And uh, they're super cute. Um, but I'll be, what I'll do is I'll be in the parking lot and be present to their parents who interestingly they don't go home they just sit in our parking lot and so what because religious ed, religious ed is only they do sometimes hang out yeah oh, okay cool so they it's too takes too long to go back home and then come back sure. so they just kind of remain and ideally so you have something available to them or whatever but if anything um like there's this priest who's in the parking lot just shooting the breeze right and in in so doing it's awesome because like People come up and open up and people talk and share with me about their lives and invite me into their lives. And so I get to step into their pain and suffering and confusion, uh, which, again, is like an adventure on a Wednesday evening that I have. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And it's complicated stuff that I don't have an answer to, but I have the answer that responds to the pain, the suffering, the confusion, the heartache. Um, and the difficulty of life. And not everything is bad, but like as a priest, it's like pretty wild to in the parking lot to enter into people's lives in a very special way. It's holy ground, right? It's a very, it's a very special thing to be able to do that. Uh, and it's, it keeps it adventurous. Every single day is like a, a wild adventure because I just here, here we are Wednesday evening um, in the parking lot, 6 p.m. And I am now in solidarity with somebody in a parking space with a cone next to me <laughs> and the sun's setting and I'm dwelling with them. So for me, priesthood is a, is a adventurous. I'm going to be a priest life. Did you know that? Mm. <laughs> Priesting. Priesting. Yeah. So we're all baptized into this. Yeah, we priesthood are. of Christ. And so we are all capable of this. So that's the thing. It's like we're all capable of like entering in and dwelling with and guiding people and shepherding people. Uh, we're all called to as Christians, right? So to be the light of the world. So the uh, going back to Robert Barron, Bishop Barron, is that uh, he introduced me to the term mystagogue. Someone mystagogue. who in, introduces and ushers another person into the mystery. That's awesome. Someone who escorts and ushers someone into the mystery, capital M, a mystagogue. Someone right. who ushers someone and walks with someone to the mystery of God. And I've often found that uh, it is in these places of real need and desire and restlessness and pain and suffering that, um, that it is there where people are willing to walk or take a... a glance at the mystery 
and oftentimes we embody that. That's the other thing is like in solidarity. So like in moving into solidarity with these folks, it's like we're embodying the light or the way, whether or not we realize we're doing so. That's cool. That is very cool. It's one giant adventure. Instagram at Catholic Dogs. See you at Mass.